0: afternoon whatever time of day it is what for is you Hi, gang. that's it maggie and i are not in the same time zone anymore so we're being I flexible. Know, i'm finally
1: back in the uk and look i finally hung pictures behind me <laughs>
0: there we go <laughs> there we go it's Uh-oh, not so nice you're, you're, you're not just wandering around now you're actually settling in so
1: i feel like this might actually be my spot for doing this we're calling this room the library okay and currently we have some travel posters of scotland and whatnot nice. but i also have one of these travel posters of hobbiton just right. makes sense yeah
0: right right so Push your New i won't show you the rest of the right room this is, <laughs> yes i'm like
1: <laughs> i won't yeah. show you the rest of the room this is the only wall that looks finished and tidy <laughs> yeah absolutely
0: yeah.
1: Yeah. nice to see you again it's been a while
0: yeah yeah so we had intended to do several more episodes in august and then we just went on this horrible run of Maggie and I never being able to match our schedule. so He we went on vacation,
1: then I went on vacation. I mean, just yeah. life is tough, guys.
0: <laughs> yeah, we, we 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 thought almost about either doing an airport episode, another airport episode, or um, you know, Classic. Maggie was like, I could do one the day I get back, and I was like, oh man, <laughs> that's uh, that's kind of hard. I did offer. I was like, yeah. I'll do
1: it, but I am flying overnight with a toddler, so exactly, I can't get. Yeah guarantee you what kind of maggie
0: you'll get. Exactly. <laughs> so it's all good. We um we are uh we are delighted to be back today. Kind of getting back into things today. Um and what we want to talk about today is um a, a, a kind of an interesting angle on um a a sort of a, a familiar but important topic, the question of canon. Um the the both the sort of the definition of canon, the establishment of canon, and also even really kind of thinking about that on two sides. One issue of canon, of course, which always comes up right away when you're thinking about adaptation. Well, especially with something like Tolkien. It's a little, um, but no, even there, even with, even with um, a kind of like an adaptation of like just one single book. Right. Rather than, you know, a whole kind of series and a whole sort of thing like like Tolkien's is or uh, like Harry Potter or something like that. Um, there are still questions of canonicity. Right. Like when you have a single book written by an author, but do you include things the author said? Right. Okay. That aren't in the book. Right. Does that what counts as canon? Right. So even even with a simpler situation, textual situation, I mean, than Tolkien's situation, there are always questions of canon and def, you know trying to define um a what is canon but then b the question that i'm concerned is to what extent do we care right but um but but so so there there's that question which is to say a very familiar question um when thinking about adaptation but of course there's also then the question about film canon itself like when we look when we are kind of entering into the world of the um uh, the film adaptation we're redefining you know it complicates the question of canon right now do you have two separate canons you've got book canon and movie canon like that's often true and you'll hear people using that vocabulary i mean you know many conversations i'll be talking about you know like um you know book legolas versus film legolas and that and that kind of thing right um so there you, you can have the, the 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 separate film canon but then of course even defining that can get interesting and complicated, right? <laughs> and, of course, the Lord of the Rings films are a classic example there, too, where you have the cinematic release and you have the extended release, and then you have other things, right? Like, um, uh, you know, Maggie, I know you were just recently watching the, uh, a video of the old uh, uh, can presentation reel, right?
1: Yeah I've never seen this before and it's a 26 minute reel from 2001 Cannes Film Festival and it's while they were still finishing the film so it has different music over it and it has lines that didn't make the final cut of the film nothing like revolutionary but different so it just made me it just made me kind of go huh that's that's interesting how does that affect what we consider canon and you know we've seen loads of deleted scenes. And we know that some things were filmed and not put in. We know that there's other content that they would have liked to put in that they didn't. So where do we draw that line?
0: Right. Yeah. And of course we have the, uh, uh, then we have people who are wanting to complicate the canon even further, like our friend Don Marshall uh, from TikTok, who's been agitating for, um, you know, second extended edition, right? Um, Knowing that there exists footage you know, that did, may yeah, I support it too. Um, yeah. uh, if you, you haven't know, heard
1: this, he's, he's basically petitioning that there's all this other footage and he's like officially petitioning that J- uh, Peter Jackson said that he would release, extended cut 20 years from now. If people still wanted it. So he's basically like, I still want it. I mean, you really still want it. Yeah. it. yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so then, you know, what would kind of, what do we do with that? You know, what do we, um, and um, so anyway, there's, there's my, um, My big, sort of my main thoughts. I mean, I I sort of betrayed some of my thoughts about canon questions earlier when I was talking about you know the extent to which we care. And but I I want to be careful. I don't want to be. I don't want to sound too flippant about this, right? I mean, it's questions of canon matter. Um, I think it's it's really really easy for people to get hyper fixated. Um, on questions of canon, what what become essentially questions of authority, right? Like, this is, I'm going to define what are the, you know, correct and acceptable parameters of the story, whether you're talking about the print text or whether you're talking about, um, you know, the the film text or how that's defined. You know, what is, um, what is the real canon? Um, you can hear. I mean, and of course, it's not just a Tolkien issue. You hear people debating this with, like, Marvel, for instance, all the time, right? You've got the like comic book canon people, which is needless to say, the comic book canon is really complicated. Um, and then, you know, you've got the the, the, you know, movies and TV shows and some of which didn't really sync up and like what counts and what gets included. And, and, even,
1: yeah. and even within like the DC universe, we've got the same movie with different cuts with the Zack Snyder Justice League and the standard Justice League. And those right. are two very different films. So which one is canon And yes. and canon? Yeah, I don't feel the need for us to discuss like what's right, what's wrong, why does it matter flippantly? It's more like, excuse me, isn't it interesting? Let's talk around why this is so much of a focus point and why it ought to be a focus point and something to be considered carefully in adaptation, but not looking for the right or the wrong. It's just taking into consideration all the different stuff. It's when canon is used by fans as ammunition that it gets real messy when they're like, no, I know this because (laughs) hang on, there's a lot more there that we gotta talk through and it's never as simple as we think it is. Yeah. So, yeah, defining canon, I think, is a big deal. But no definition of canon is going to be satisfactory for somebody to have a clear answer about what should be in a film.
0: Yeah, yeah. And, and I would add, by the way, often it's very, very useful if you're having a discussion or you're thinking about something to kind of make sure, especially if you're having a discussion with multiple people, to kind of, like, define terms, right? Mm-hmm. Like, this is what we So So, I mean, again, to use a Tolkien example, right? If somebody wants to say... I want to think about, you know, like the Peter Jackson films and the Rings of Power and their relationships with Tolkien's text. But I want to restrict that to the question of like the published Lord of the Rings, you know, or something like that. OK, like okay. that's a parameter. It's parameters. like an acceptable parameter. You can have a discussion within that within those parameters. Yeah. That's that's totally fine. Um it's yeah, as you say, it's when things get to the point where you want to like weaponize this, right? Like, yes. you know, you can't say these things because you, you know, I've I have I have like asserted possibly even unstated, right, that I define uh, this in this way. It's when when you start getting dogmatic about like the only canonical Tolkien work is, you know, the things that were published in his lifetime. Like that's I, that's hard. You know, I can, I don't accept that definition and. Um, uh you know so you know but again you can you can you can establish ground rules for a discussion and that makes the discussion interesting um but one of the other reasons why again not that I'm really meaning to be flippant but one of the reasons why I don't get really invested in these questions of canon exactly is that to me to me trying to establish like what is the definitive you know story is uh, just i i'm not very interested in that i'm interested in to what end yeah exactly i'm interested in talking you can talk about the story at different levels like it's really fascinating for instance to look at um the cinematic release versus the extended release this actually is something we could even i think would be a fun topic for a future one to really kind of go through in detail look at the look at the scene lists right and say because What's what's interesting there is not that again, this is not it's not like a pejorative thing like these are the second class scenes because they're only in the extended edition or by contrast, there are many people who are like the extended edition is the only real edition of those movies and the cinematic releases are dead. Right. Um, So, you know, you know, different people will take different stands of that kind. But again, the point is against any such stand and instead ask interesting questions right it's fascinating to say like okay so we know right um we're we're being given a really interesting piece of information there right um and that is given what they had like just taking the extended edition for a moment as like okay this is the this is the larger the larger version right that they were drawing from and from that they they made these choices right we know because you know it happened right that they chose to cut certain scenes and not cut other scenes what does that tell us what is it what patterns can we see there on what basis did they choose to cut you know or again what conclusions can we draw about the basis on which they were cutting some scenes uh and not other scenes how does the story of the film change through these cuts and you know because they're away it's a different story right they're not yeah. the same the same stories they're not the same films um And uh, I think it's fascinating.
1: It is. And and the folks that get so wrapped up in what is canon, well, that's not canon. I can't love this because it's not canon. It's kind of the same attitude I think we've always shared when we were going into Rings of Power and you with The Hobbit. Like, why would you limit yourself that early on? Let's just let's just see what what happens. And then we can start talking about the levels, because if you just kind of say this is based off of what and then you're limiting yourself to not being able to enjoy it. Whereas right. if you go enjoy it and then you get to pick it apart and say, oh, my God, right. that's where they pulled that from. And that's where they got that from. And with Rings of Power, that was one of the most exciting things that we saw so cool. from the behind the scenes stuff. Yeah. Before, we didn't really have a canon. There isn't a like scripted text for this. But the, the source material that they were pulling from was all that little stuff was yeah. all those little references and the letters and the notes and the margins and stuff that yeah. Yeah.
0: And the later drafts and the, yes, wouldn't
1: necessarily consider that Canon, but you'd have to respect that research because mm-hmm. they're Tolkienists, you know, like, yeah. So when does Canon stop mattering to those people and step into the realm of respecting the research as a Tolkienist? Oh, right. wait a second. Oh, I guess that is okay. Yeah. So why would you limit yourself? Don't be snotty about it. Let's just engage with like what's on the screen and where they got their information when they start making up stuff and it doesn't work. Yeah. Then I've got some questions. Why'd you make that choice? But, you know,
0: yeah. I mean, then that's always, that's always the more interesting question anyway. But um, anyway, yeah. So the other thing, um, and I'm thinking here of the um, conversation. So in the, in my Mythgard Academy series, we've been going through the history of Middle-earth. So we've been talking through, you know, all, everything that Christopher Tolkien published about the, the developing drafts of uh, primarily the Silmarillion material, um, though the history of the Lord of the Rings is, is sort of there in the middle. And as people who have attended those sessions with me know, one of my favorite things, um, one of my favorite things to talk about generally are passages when Christopher Tolkien gives us the text, the first draft text that he wrote, mm-hmm. including the parts that he crossed out, And what he changed them to, I love that. That's so cool. So it's so cool because you can see. Here's where his mind was at first. Like here's the first story that he wrote, or like the first, and they're usually micro. They're like single paragraphs, right, or speeches or something, like. Here's how he first envisioned that and we can see directly like where like where his mind went after that initial thing. And so um, those kinds of things provide a kind of a glimpse into uh, it doesn't tell you like the secret truth about the story but it tells you like here's the trajectory of his thinking from mm-hmm. his earlier drafts to his later drafts you can see like he's definitely pushing say Gandalf's character in this, direction, especially when you can begin to see patterns there, right, of how he's changed it, whether it's in the depiction of a certain character. Um, just to, to throw, I mentioned Gandalf there. Um, it's very clear when you look at the way that this happens from the first drafts of the Lord of the Rings to the later drafts. He tones Gandalf down a lot early draft Gandalf is like three times as grumpy. Um, (laughs) Early, early, early. I mean, the the famous example, and we just talked about this in exploring the Lord of the Rings. I say just it was like three months ago. Um, But um, uh, the passage, you know, in the snow on Carothras, when they're trapped in the snow and they're trying to escape. Um, The passage in which in the published text Gandalf says still pretty crankily to Legolas uh, when, Lego says, you know, if Gandalf could go before us with a bright flame, he might melt, uh, you know, a path through the snow for us. And Gandalf shoots back at him and says, you know, if elves could, um, could fly, you know, they might go and fetch the sun for us. In the first draft, Gandalf threatened to set fire to Legolas and use him to melt the snow. <laughs> like he was going to use Legolas as a torch. I mean, he sh- he shoots. He's much crankier. Um, That's a very so, like,
1: different story. It's very
0: different. Like nobody <laughs> nobody threatens to immolate anybody in the in the final <laughs> text, right? But and That's and, and you can see that trend. Like Gandalf often. The words that he first put in Gandalf's mouth. Gandalf's cranky. Like he's he's really short-tempered, um, and often fires off and says really mean stuff. Um, and that and and in 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 the revisions, you can see him systematically kind of toning down Gandalf, right? And, and so that's fascinating.
1: See, yeah, like I can see how that would work. Like that character sounds really fascinating and engaging, and that <laughs> yes. would move the story along from A to B pretty, you know, quickly. Yes. Yeah. I would miss the Gandalf we got to know, but I kind of want to get to know that Gandalf
0: too. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's fun. He's yeah. fun. Um, so you could I see, mean...
1: like, you could consider that canon because it was written down, changed, but I guess, you know, there's an argument there. So if yeah. we did see Peter Jackson creating that Gandalf, like, grounded in canon
0: yeah yeah thanks jj just quoted it the actual line was even i need something to work on i cannot burn snow but i could turn legolas into a flaming torch if that will serve he would burn bright while he lasted (laughs) (laughs) lasted. that was Gandalf's actual words in the first draft of that scene um but um uh anyway yeah yeah so um yeah, right. Phil is suggesting his new head canon is that Gandalf is still thinking all those things. He just doesn't say them out loud in, oh, in, in the published text. Um, anyway, but again, so the, I just use that as one illustration, right? It's yeah. it, I I find it it's one of my favorite parts, as I say, of the history of Middle-earth when we actually can see the directly parallel text or even the places where we know like this word he crossed out and replaced with even if there's one thing like he crosses out one adjective and replaces it with another adjective like even that I'm like, ooh, what is that show us? Like, why really? didn't he like that one? You know, what was the basis of that choice? What what direction does he seem to be pushing the story in, you know, replacing that one adjective with a different adjective? So, um, anytime we get that sort of thing, again, rather than worrying about, like, is it canon? Is it official? Or whatever, you know, just, just to say, like, what do we learn? What do we learn about right. what Tolkien's thinking about the story, about where it came from, about the trajectory? Um, and, and so I find the same thing can be applied, not can, you know, first, that same thing can be applied to the films themselves, right? When we're thinking about things like the choices that they made. Um, Again, not even just the choices about the relationship with the text, but the choices about the film itself. That's why I think looking at the extended edition and comparing it with the cinematic edition is so much fun, because you're seeing something that's kind of parallel to what I was just describing in the text, right? You have the well, it's not that the uh, the extended edition is not an uncut version. It's a very carefully cut and curated longer version, right? But even if we imagine that they started with that and trimmed it down, which is not even true, right? That, right. I don't think that would be how it would work. Instead, we have to imagine the whole body, body of footage that they had, right? Yeah. And they took all of that footage and they made the one film out of it to begin with. And then they made the extended editions out of it. And then it opens up the question of um, uh, what would a a more, you know, what would Don Marshall's further, you know, second extended edition look like, right? Um, What kind of story would that be? And how would that impact it?
1: And that's the stuff that's so interesting of just like, yeah, what was kept? What was changed? And these are all still acceptable movies. Like the theatrical release is still canon the yes. extended is still canon and it was exactly as you said with the body of work and that's what made me think about this can uh, sizzle reel or what a presentation reel that mm-hmm. it wasn't anything different but it would have been very different to see those right. lines in there like there was one about Saruman trying to convince Gandalf to take the ring and we should yield it we should do this and we we know that's how he feels but hearing him say it was quite a different hello quite a different vibe <laughs> right. Right. She also just yeah. got shaved, guys. How funny is this? She's got a skinny <laughs> body and a giant fluffy head. <laughs> she loves it. She's strutting around the place. <laughs> um, anyway, cat distraction. Cat Accepted. distraction. There we go. But yeah, this this whole body that we have, and you just picture like how many different ways. film things and we've heard of actors trying 27 different ways to say a line especially if you think comedy with steve carell and will ferrell and things like that like that's what we get but adaptation we do have a little bit of flexibility because we do have canon from a text but we might also have notes we might also have you know whatever else it is but then we have artist interpretations maybe there's an extra grunt in there which can change the whole meaning we might have a really high pitched voice which changes the tone of that character to be more comedic rather than serious Like, mm-hmm. there's a lot of things that can construe what we would think as canon because it's not how we think it and yes. that's the whole base of the problem of adaptation isn't it because what I'm watching is different from what's in my head so yes. yeah, all these are just continued examples of like there's a lot of issues that we just gotta take into consideration but yeah. I love this idea of the body of, of footage that they have And then just cherry picking the bits that make a lovely story. And then that wasn't good enough. So let's add another 45 minutes and make it bigger.
0: (laughs) Right. Yeah. And 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 I and it is true that like to these questions, right, to the questions of like uh, different versions of the text and different, you know, the author's different ideas at different places, whether it's Tolkien's multiple drafts or whether it's, you know, JK Rowling's texts versus things that she said, you know, in interviews later on or whatever. Um, you know, so you've got all that stuff and, and then you've got, again, this whole body of footage and the different ways that they shape it in different contexts and seeing an earlier kind of go at it, you know, in the, in the, mm-hmm. the can reel. Um, but um but then, in addition, of course, these things are these questions are also relevant to how they interact with the text themselves as well, mm-hmm. right? Um, there is a kind of. I want to be. I want to be. I want to be cautious and say I'm using this metaphorically, not literally. But there's a kind of continuum between. Oh, lost, lost. I'm your back. There. Yeah. Okay. My camera um, froze. Sorry. There's a kind of continuum between the development of the text and the development of the film. Again, I don't mean literally a continuum as if the film is like just a continuation of, uh, you know, it is Tolkien's ideas and isn't a continuation of Tolkien's ideas, but, but, but sort of metaphorically in the sense of, um, just as Tolkien's own ideas were, um, dynamic, right. Um, you know, he was thinking about these and, and, you know, Rowling's every author's, you know, thoughts and ideas are dynamic. Um, uh, And responding to things. So, too, is the adaptation responding to things in the text and and, and sort of coming at things. I want to come to the the example um, that Edith Aldora was saying, because I think it's a fascinating one. And that is
1: Mm.
0: the initial, when Peter Jackson got pushback for wanting to include, um, there are those scenes in the Lord of the Rings films where Aragorn's kind of flirting with our, with, uh, with um, Eowyn. The right? Fish
1: stew. We remember.
0: Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's, there's the, and even before, like even in the, you know, in the hall, before they leave on their journey and stuff, like there's, there are moments, right? There are moments where um he comes right up to the edge of, you know, Aragorn being actively encouraging to mm-hmm. uh, Eowyn there. And um, Edith was pointing out that when kind of, Receiving pushback about that, Peter Jackson said, "It's it's in the text, mm-hmm. like it's you know he was justifying it in the text, and I think he's not wrong. Like I, I I think that he's he's and and you can see the more you know about the textual history, the more sense that that makes. Arwen was added to the text late. The, Tolkien's original concept was that Aragorn and Arwen were going to get married, like that. That's why that line is there. Which, so." He, in the text, right when uh, Eowyn comes into the room at the feast, when the at the welcoming feast, when they're there, and Eowyn comes into the room bearing the cup, right, um, there's this line which like jumps off the page, especially to a first time reader, right. It says like, and thus for the first time in the full light of day did Aragorn behold Aowen, daughter of Rohan, right, and like you know, as a reader, you're like. Okay, this is momentous, like I'm picking up what you're putting down, right? This is going to really matter. And of course, in the tech in the final published text, it's it seems kind of a kind of a false trail, right? Cuz I mean it's it's I mean, yeah, the relationship is going to be kind of significant in a way, but not like it sounds, like it's that seems yeah. misleading. I mean, he left he left that line in the text, right? When he wrote it originally, he wrote that because the plan was for them to get married. Like that was that was in fact what it was, what it sounds like it's building up to was what it was building up to. And then later, very last minute. I mean, Arwen. the The reason Arwen isn't more in the story, in the written story, is that she was added at the eleventh hour. It was in the final revisions that he decided, no wait, I want to do, I want to do the Baron and Luthian thing. Um, and so he creates the character of Arwen, writes her back in to a few places and makes it work. Um but you
1: can see even yeah. with that example of how complicated this would be to explain what canon is and who you need to satisfy and why they're pissed off like I can see why people are annoyed by XYZ, but you can see why it's a little bit more complicated than that. Yeah just from a filmic perspective, 100% see why they would lean into that storyline because there's not a lot for Eowyn to do in the grand scheme of things. Right. So if we want to develop a little character something and we don't have a ton of time with Arwen and Aragorn, if we have competition, then that's a good way to kind of stretch out the the strength of the Aragorn-Arwen relationship. If we see Eowyn as a not threat because she's not gonna like steal the man, but right. it is you know an attraction in a different direction. If we see that, then that creates a whole other conflict line. That if you're picturing it on a graph, like oh, all of a sudden the Aragorn, Aowen, Arwen triangle is kind of interesting, and we didn't have that before. So mm-hmm. just in terms of tension and pacing, that's really handy in a film. Yeah. And if we get character development, which we kind of need for Aowen because she yes. doesn't have a ton until the very end, we have that. We care about her more throughout the whole thing. So, I mean, like, story-wise, that makes sense to me. It's just real handy to have this nugget of canon that we can refer back to and be like, but see, it was.
0: Yeah, so, like, the reasons, the, the, the storytelling reasons, right, why Peter Jackson might want to dwell on that a little bit, that thread, right, kind of, or, like, bring that thread back out again, are different from the... Reasons that informed both Tolkien's initial thought and his change, right? I
1: can Um, see why some people would be annoyed at that. You're taking that story and you're using it for your own purpose. Yep. Yeah. That's that's what storytelling is. That's what storytelling is. is. (laughs) Exactly.
0: (laughs) Exactly. Um, But um, it's one quick thing I want to clarify. Uh, Phil was asking. so uh, was saying he must have just squeaked it in under the barrier uh, because Fellowship was published ahead of the rest of them. Uh, no, Tolkien wrote the whole thing as one story. So he didn't. The Fellowship of the Ring was published well after, like years after the entire story had been finished. So the, the phase I'm talking about is late, very late in the writing of the story. But that was several years before the publication of the first book. Um, and the Fellowship of the Ring and the Two Towers were, I think, published within one year of each other the Return of the King took some time, not because he was finishing the story, but because of the appendices, um, mm-hmm. that's that slowed the, the publication of uh, of that a good deal. Um,
1: and just looking at Nameless Arcanum's question too, the adding the extra scenes would be more difficult because then you'd have to include additional context to new scenes to make sure they fit. Yes, that's definitely true. And that's why you often hear about films going back to film pickups. So they'll have it in their contract to go back to New Zealand for two weeks to basically film these four-second fillers to get them from A to B to make sure that transition works. But that's also how they take scenes out sometimes. So if they start to put things together and there isn't that smooth, then it's easier to take that scene out if it doesn't actually serve the purpose of the story. So Is that normally what
0: pickups are?
1: Generally, sometimes it's like transitions and and fill-ins or the sound was really bad on that one and we need to... Fix it, or you know, that costume piece like Elijah Wood was wearing the wrong vest. How many times in the Greyhaven scene? Oh, well, like,
0: wasn't it uh, wasn't it um, Sean Astin who did the? Oh, I thought the, it was I Elijah. Th- was it Sean? It, it might have been, I can't remember, yeah. but yeah, one of yeah, them. Yeah,
1: I mean, it, whatever it is, it's something yeah. they picked up that they might not actually fix something like a costume, they wouldn't necessarily prioritize that in a pickup, but if they're already there, they might as well do it kind of a thing. But it's awfully expensive to. You just do that Greyhaven scene for a, a vest if you don't need to. But that, that that actually wasn't a pickup. They reshot that on the day. That just ended up being a really long day. So right, yeah, right. Pickups are usually like coming back because the audio was messed up somewhere, or we need an extra transition, or we need six seconds to see Aragorn run up those steps so it makes sense that he got from the stables to the, the hall of, of Rohan, or whatever it happens to be. Um, yeah. That's why if you watch um, Golden Compass, the Chris White's version from 2007, super, super choppy because they had to cut like 40 minutes of the finished film out of it because the Catholic Mm. Church got real pissed off about it. Excuse me. So they had this massive edit at the end. But if you go back and watch that, it feels so choppy because they did film some pickups after doing this massive cut, but they didn't have enough time or prep, you know, anything to film everything they needed to make that smooth. So all those transitions are super. Yeah. So that's a real tough one to like smush stuff back into.
0: Um, Yeah. (laughs) Sorry, I was laughing in the middle because I, on the one hand, like, you know, um, that is obviously a major challenge to confront in your storytelling when you've planned and done your story and then are forced to take out 40 minutes of it. Like, that's that's kind of hard. At the same time, I can't help but want to say, like, you didn't anticipate that a little bit, but like, did you read the book before you? <laughs> even, you didn't even guess that there might be some pushback from the church. That was,
1: I, that was one of my like major annoyances, though. Like, you knew what you were signing up for, and you yeah. panicked six weeks before theatrical yes, release. Yes, like,
0: exactly. That's that seems. Hard to defend stick to your
1: guns that you right. knew we were signing up either for. stick to your
0: guns or plan ahead a lot better. I mean, yeah. it's yeah, don't be yeah. so
1: rea- Like, I don't think they were expecting the reaction to be quite as big as it was. I mean, the Catholic Church was calling for like a full on boycott to this Christmas film that cost them 180 million. Right. But they still cut a stupid amount of that movie. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. You have to know what you're signing up for surely at the beginning. And there's a reason that two years go into these scripts like you put the thought into it Mm-hmm. Commit to that. And yeah.
0: Yeah. My two yeah. cents. Um, yep. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, that's, yeah, it's hard. So, yes, that it's, uh, it's, that's complicated. But, um, uh, but anyway, yeah, I, I do think that this, um, so uh, thinking about, again, canon inversions and, and what those things kind of tell us on either kind of end or either side of the adaptation situation. But then, to me it really kind of comes back to and helps to inform or not inform, recontextualize really, the frontier between them. Like the inter you know, the, the inter the way in which
1: mm.
0: the film story interacts with the book story on the other side.
1: Which is a fun relationship, you know, and and I, I fully support the loving the book and loving the film, and they're allowed to be two very different things. Like a friend recently just told me that her daughter's going to be Hermione for Halloween. And I, not Hermione, Ginny. And I said, is it book Ginny or is it film Ginny? Like dead serious, because those right. are two very different characters in my head. <laughs> right. Right. So these are important questions, but both of them are valid. It's just, you know, where's your source material? Mm hmm. Mm
0: hmm. Yeah.
1: I think yeah. what's also fun to play with, with canon and adaptation and all of this, is how other content worms its way in like Mm -hmm. how we find out about other content and where the role of like dvd special features fit in to explain some of this and corey and i've talked about this a lot because we so miss dvd special features because it explained so many things even for like a cheesy rom-com I so enjoyed the making of because you would hear the process of the story and how the story came to screen. And that process can be so informative, especially in an adaptation. Why did you change those things? Why did you think this was important? Who were you trying to please? You know, all that kind of stuff. So getting that explanation, and that's where you find out Well, we did our research in the first draft of this, that happened. And that was also one of my annoyances with rings of power that they didn't release a lot of that conversation that we learned about in our conversations with the showrunners like that stuff's gold like you've got to tell the fandom that stuff yeah they're
0: making it
1: they're making it okay for us to like all the changes because they're giving us permission based on research that Tolkien's like
0: right there's a lot there's a lot that they're thinking about and there's a lot for viewers to think Mm about um no I my favorite part of um of bonus features and stuff is just the the invitation that they give and the material that they give you know the raw material that they give for for thinking through and thinking about things right um, one of the thing one of my own kind of um, uh, well, it's, it's a little bit of a pet peeve is when people appeal to, Things that artists, whether it's authors or filmmakers or whatever, like they'll say something about, you know, this was my intention or this is what I was trying to do or something. Um, My pet peeve is when people hear those things and then basically are like, so that's law. Right. Only that's that's what it life. is. Like they yeah. said, they said, you know, this is what they meant. And so that's what the thing is. Um, and I'm always like, well, no, that's what they wanted. To do. That's what they were attempting to accomplish. Whether Your or not they did, in yeah. fact, do that is an entirely different question. So, like, by all means, let's, you know. Um, and again, of course, especially in the early years, J.K. Rowling was famous for these kind of declarations where she would, you know, assert something authoritative about the text, which then if I challenged, people would yell at me. This used to happen in the early days. I remember like 10 years ago in the early days of Signum. Uh, getting into, you know, people arguing with me um, and saying like, no, 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 you can't say that about the books because she said that wasn't true. I'm like, I know she said it wasn't true. I think she's wrong. Uh, like If you look at the text, like the text does not back up what she said, Um, you know, so. I can't
1: remember if it was here or if it was elsewhere that we were talking about this. But yeah, it's J.K. Rowling is the the best writer of her own fan fiction. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. <laughs> <She> <laughs> yes. Creates her own storylines to fill in the blanks of her own past work. Yes. To suit her own situation where she is. Right.
0: Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. No. And that's you know fun. That's interesting, right? But um, uh, you know, I I love that. So, but again, so it, it's not the existence of that stuff is fun, and going back and, yeah. and it gives you some really interesting angles to look at, that even to understand, um. The de- again, the development of thought. No authors' minds are static, right? So, you know, in some ways, I find it even more fun when the thing that uh, an author says later on is different from what you can clearly find in the text, right? Because it shows you here's the direction in which um, uh, in which their thought is working. I can give a I can give a Tolkien example of this. Um, a Tolkien example of this. Is the essay on the the essays on the Astari and the Palantiri in Unfinished Tales. So let's go with the Palantir. So he wrote this whole essay about how the Palantiri work, right? So if you have one of the Seeing Stones, how does it work? And he talked about like you know what it can and can't do, and how like you've got to like position yourself from a certain angle in order to see things, and what you can see and what you can't see. Um, and although none of those things are technically he was very good at making sure that there was no like technical contradiction to anything that was said in the text. It's pretty clear in my mind that um, you know when I read the text and how the palantiri are handled and treated and what people see and don't see and how they look at them and stuff, um, that it doesn't really fit what he describes later on. Like that's it's he's he's describing something which is just it's it's just it's not really the he's elaborated it in a particular direction right Mm -hmm. um and honestly i don't love the direction that he went with it right i kind of prefer the way that the like the palantir they're much more mysterious they're much more magical right they're much less mechanical um it's all about you look into the ball and it is like you're exerting your will and all these other things um whereas uh You know, you could say, I'm not saying this is necessarily true, but you could say, based on what he says in the essay on the Palantiri, that all Pippin had to do in order to avoid, you know, look, you know, staring, gazing into the eye of Sauron was if he had just sat 90 degrees around the other side, he'd have been fine. Or turned
1: his head. Yeah.
0: Right. Or or like, yeah, he just, seriously, if he was holding the ball and just went like this, oh, he's fine. No Sauron in that direction. Right. And it's like, no, no, that's not, no, that's not. Great. That's 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 not as interesting a story. Right.
1: But and but and think of that on screen, too. That doesn't work as well.
0: No, it doesn't. It doesn't. Um, But but see, here's the thing. Here's what is interesting about it. Again, I don't love the essay on the Palantir. The story of the Palantir that we're getting there is less interesting to me than the story, I think, that we get in the uh, in, in the Lord of the Rings. But. What is interesting is that it shows us some really fascinating things about the direction Tolkien's mind was going at that time, right? In the 1960s, when he was writing that stuff, what was the kind of stuff he was thinking about? And what we can see, especially when we combine that with other things that he was writing during the, that time in the 1960s, we can see one of the, one of the primary trends is that he's doing systematizing, systematic world building, right? How do things work, and how do they fit together, and how can I make sure, how can I define those things and make sure there are no inconsistencies? He loved that, and he, lo- he in- increasingly loved that over the course of his life. Um, he kind of really got into that. This is why, of course, in the nature of Middle-earth, we end up with mathematical tables right Tolkien doing all these mathematical tables about uh, um elf growth elf growth and reproduction rates um because he was working it out right he wanted Mm -hmm. the system he wanted to figure it um anyway so that's interesting that's good to know and similarly you know i think that we can see some things we can see some patterns too in the kinds of things that jk rowling was saying later on compared to what she wrote in the original books you know um how she wants to see the you know the diary of Tom Riddle, um, in retrospect, right from her later perspective, compared to what we get about the the mm-hmm. the, the, the Riddle diary, um, you know in uh, in the Chamber of Secrets. So anyway, there's there's a lot of things that we can that we and that's fascinating. That's really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, it's it's the, it's cooler if you're able to be a little bit flexible with it and you're willing to kind of see that. And of course. The corollary to that is when you're doing an adaptation, all this stuff is fair game.
1: Yeah, you know? all of this is on your table. And, you know, there's so many different levels as we keep saying, but I feel like what you're what you referenced is so important and that's about your own relationship to the text mm-hmm. and how flexible you're willing to be when engaging in an adaptation. But I think there's also this element of the creator and our relationship with the creator because so much of it comes from a place of defense, you know, like, why are you taking my favorite book? And like, you don't get to do this. I know more than you know. (laughs) So the loss of special features drops the ability to have that relationship. I think like the majority of why, there's so many reasons why we love the Peter Jackson trilogy. And there's a lot of reasons people are not happy with it. But the reason I think that it was so successful is because he lifted that curtain so thoroughly and allowed us to become, not friends with him, he wasn't looking to be a buddy, he was looking to show us how much he cared about this and the detail Mm -hmm. and the work he put into it. It was almost like he was reassuring everybody at every step of the way, but he never came off like he was reassuring. It was just, look at how much stuff I love, you know? And that enthusiasm, it's identifying as a fan. So if you can identify with a fan, as a fan, like a fan, you know, show your research, then you're allowing that relationship to happen. The loss of DVD features. Now we only have corporate polished interviews on late night TV and right. that's or just not the marketing same.
0: snippets on YouTube channels.
1: Yeah. Or like yeah. really structured 10 minute interviews on Twitter or whatever it happens to be it's it's not the same kind of dynamic we get as hours of content like you know you're saying my favorite part my favorite part of well I have two favorite parts of of bonus well three favorite parts gag reels were great I miss gag reels um (laughs) I loved the making of stuff because that showed the detail and you know this whole race comes from this region so therefore everything's gonna be really rocky and earthy and right, leather right. you know I, great show me that commentaries oh do i miss commentaries like the peter jackson trilogy mm-hmm. i feel like i learned more about filmmaking i mean it was fun to listen to the actors commentary because they were just really fun but Listening to Peter Jackson and Philippa, like go through the trilogy and just sit like we're sitting next to them. I think I learned more about filmmaking doing that than I did in my Ph.D.
0: (laughs) Right. 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 Yeah. Um, That
1: insight. So good. And it just it just it allowed us to love it. It gave us permission to be like, oh, these guys do know their stuff. Great.
0: Yeah, I, I do. I do think, again, one of the effect of having less of that kind of material available to us in the streaming era than we did in the DVD era is I think it also creates a kind of, well, I want to say a false impression, a false impression of kind of take it or leave it about the story, right? If you don't pull back that curtain, if you don't get any glimpse into here is the work that we were doing and, uh, you know, unfolding our story. Here's the story that we were trying to tell and some of the ways in which we were trying to do it. Here are some of the things that I think about the source story and how we wanted to relate. I mean, if you don't, if you don't get any of that, then what you get is just this, um, you know, kind of monolithic. Here's our final th- You know, here is our version of, you know, whatever the original source material was. Right. Kind of like, take it or leave it, it can take feel almost it. like aggressive, you know, yeah. right? Like, uh, we've redone it in this right? way and this is better or whatever, you know. Like, or sometimes people will, I mean, it sounds to me anyway, that some people will assume a kind of almost oppositional um, stance, right? Like they're I don't know what, claiming it or trying to take it over or something like that. Um, where again, you can you can you can hear much more uh, in a much more nuanced fashion, I think, um, you are prompted to think more in terms of seeing this as a, a product of a, a sort of a dynamic and creative interaction with the original. They are telling their own story. They are doing their own thing. Um, but... Um,
1: but they're kind uh, of inviting us along on the process yeah. as opposed to challenging yeah. it.
0: Yeah, and I think that it's it kind of creates kind of creates an obstacle like for instance people who feel and again I'm just this is a conclusion I'm drawing from hearing how people talk about these things like they have to choose right like you know I um, which seems also to me well it's not exactly the same issue when people talk about an adaptation ruining the original for them you know again it's, it's that same kind of like Why? they're Why would you
1: let that happen? I've never
0: understood it. I can't. I just, I've tried and tried to put myself, to imagine myself into the position Mm -hmm. of like, but I can't, I can't think of a single like source, like book that I've loved that a bad adaptation has actually ruined for me. No, I'm just like, if.
1: Again, I mean, do I need to bring up The Dark is Rising yet again? Like, I mean, if we want to talk about adaptations, but that has no reference to the book for me at all. It's so far gone. Why would I attach the two? No, thanks.
0: Yeah. I mean, there have been times when I've seen an adaptation that was really bad. And I'll say something like, "Okay, I'm going to go back and reread the book to kind of. Cleanse myself, right? To you know, to kind Bring of refresh my, uh, uh, you know, my 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 mind and you know, kind of you know, clear my imaginative palette of that you know very unpleasant and and uh, uh, you know very very poor adaptation. Um, uh, but that's you know that to me that's the most of it. Like, and I I can't even imagine going back to the book afterwards and finding that I now love the book less because I didn't like that movie or whatever. I just it's hard. I I wish I understood that better. I do. If anyone who is watching has that experience and can say anything to help me understand it, I I I, I mean, I can see how visual images could creep in, right? Like, Mm -hmm. I mean, one thing that I can imagine is having your own You know, like you picture the characters in your head and after you see the movie, now you're picturing those actors. And, and it, you know, your own imaginative landscape from your own, um, you know, your own internal adaptation has been replaced by that visual imagery that you took in that now you can't you can't unsee it. Right. So now, um, you know, now Boromir looks like Sean Bean and there's nothing you can do about it. Right. He will always look like Sean Bean in your head from now on. I can see, I can see how that can sort of change things, and I can see why people. That to me, honestly, is a perfectly acceptable reason to not watch them. Like, if you're worried about that, if that happens to you, and you're worried about that, don't don't watch. It's it's. Yeah. I I would. I don't choose. I don't make that choice myself generally, but I could respect somebody who said, you know what, I don't want my own imagined. You know, I I am. I this is my comfort food. I love going to this imagined world that I have in my head when I read this. And I don't want that, um, you know, sort of trespassed on by these other image, these other intrusive alien to me, you know, to my mind, um, visual images. I could respect that, I think. And, um, yeah. But, yeah. and I'm
1: and, and like, and I definitely get the, like, you know, if you go re-engage, with, again, if you go and re-engage with your, Book again, like generally, I love it so much more because it's like, oh my God, this is this is what I signed up for. Like it's like going back to an old friend, you get all those details, and it's like, oh yeah, this is the good stuff. But I understand the grimace, the cringe of like, I am going back to read this book because it's perfect and it's wonderful. But oh God, I forgot about that. You know that makes me feel sick. And yeah, sure, (laughs) but it's not going to ruin my book. My book's still perfect, but I will cringe on its behalf that they made Will Stanton. A 14-year-old American with a twin trapped in an altered dimension. I will cringe at that because it reminds me (laughs) of that. Right.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, Yeah, Eric, I can kind of see that. Like, kind of like a song reminds you of an ex. Exactly. Like, yeah, reading my favorite book does remind me that that terrible film exists. Ugh. But I'm not going to watch that film again. I'm going to read my book again.
0: (laughs) Right. Right. Yeah, and I think, I don't know, in my experience, even that kind of thing, or rather, I guess I would say anything that I have moved past because of a negative association like that, I don't think was ever something that meant that much to me in the first place, right?
1: Yeah, and you kind of file it away until potentially the next thing. Like, I hated the Seeker film, but it was funny, and now I talk about it in classes and stuff all the time is a great example but then we got the bbc adaptation that just came out last christmas and that was glorious that was absolutely Mm -hmm. beautiful so you know peaks and troughs and there's some real sketchy adaptations of the lord of the rings that kind of only add to the fun of the discussion but that doesn't mean you have to take them as the be all end all you get to choose what you engage with so yeah
0: yeah yeah um
1: yeah. Phil, don't worry. I'll save you the trouble. Just skip it. Just skip it. <laughs> <laughs> he said it. Glad every time that he never managed to see it.
0: Just it. Just it. No, I, I didn't see it either. Uh, but, I feel like uh, some
1: sometime I want to do a screening, and it, it would have to be like Drunk history. Like I'll just right. I'll just drink through it. <laughs>
0: Yeah. <laughs> we have to have like check ins with you at some point. But no, I actually I still think I mean, we've been threatening to do this for a while. I still think it would be fun. Fa- I'm not that I'm going to make you do this one in this way. Right. I'm not going to I'm not going to force you there. But to to talk about bad adaptations, right? To talk oh, about yeah. what what makes bad adaptation, what b- makes a bad, bad adaptation.
1: And, yeah. and that's I mean, I feel like we can answer that pretty quickly and then talk about it at length in a different episode. But like what makes a bad adaptation is a bad story. Full stop. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mm-hmm. matter if it's different than the text. If it's a bad story, it's a bad film. And therefore, it's a bad adaptation, you know? So like it all just has to come down to story. If you're that can be tr- good, and that can
0: be true And there are many, there are many examples of bad films that are that adhere stories. quite closely to the original story, but are bad adaptations because they're bad. They're it's bad storytelling and it's not. They interesting didn't at tell all.
1: it well, and the characters yeah. didn't translate the way that they did on the page. Because you need to. Sorry, my camera keeps freezing for some reason, but hopefully you can still hear me. But I yeah can, yeah. They, yeah. The story side of stuff is not just. The actor says the words that the character said on the page that doesn't work you have to look at a page of text and say what's the purpose of this page what are the words that are being said does that show growth of the character does that show conflict love challenge anger hate if the purpose of that page of text oh now i'm making a real good face if the purpose (laughs) of that page of text is to get pissed and break up with your boyfriend and then move on to the next thing then that's what we need to see not the step-by-step breakdown of those words but the actual like anger irate betrayal disappointment moving on there's a lot of different ways you can show that it does not have to be word for word what we saw in the text
0: absolutely absolutely um no I, i think that would be that would be that would be great fun but um but no all of this i mean you know the thinking about the, um, you know, the place where we started talking about, talking about Canon, which, and I mean, I think I, I guess the, the going back and kind of trying to sort of wrap that up a little bit. Um, the point there is not just about how it's, um, unhelpful to kind of try to, Rigidly define and particularly weaponize your own personal definitions of canon. That's of course part of the issue, but to really draw attention to the fluid nature of almost every text itself, um, and of course this is even true because um, here's here's another element of that. Um, we talk about we've talked at several times at uh, several points about like the book that's in your mind, right? That changes also. Mm. Um, the book doesn't change, but you change. And your reading of it changes. Um, I mean, I've often said, you know, every time I reread The Lord of the Rings, I, I, it's a different book. Like, I, I notice new things about it. I, I, um, I see. So even when talking about things like, um, you know, what are the major themes of The Lord of the Rings? You know, I don't think I would answer that question the same way right now as I would have done 25 Mm. years ago. You know,
1: Um,
0: the book hasn't changed, right? But my own in
1: a different way,
0: right? What is changing? What is what is a dynamic thing? Is the book in my head, right? Um, Not my own interpretation of it in the sense of like now I'm pushing it in a different way, right? It's not something I'm doing to it's there. There is um there's a very. fluid and interactive frontier between the book and the reader, right? Um, The thing that you're actually, it's not, it's never the words on the page um, that you're actually kind of dealing with, right? Right. It is that thing that emerges in your imagination. Um, How many times have all of us had the experience where you go back and reread something again and you're like, okay oh. that thing that's been in my it's it's actually not there like i misremembered it or like you you build it up in certain ways and you're like actually that didn't happen <laughs> in the text or 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 contrarywise like we often in exploring the lord of the rings it's one of the rewards of doing a sentence by sentence discussion of it as we've been doing there there'll be paragraphs we'll read and i or somebody else will be like has this paragraph always been there like, it's like I'm re- I am never, re- you know, it's like when you read it, this is the paragraph that I always kind of where my mind kind of checks Get out over. for a minute. I've never really processed
1: a, it. A breath moment. Uh-huh. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And, and, and I'm like, is this sentence, I don't think I've ever actually understood this sentence or what it is referring to. I mean, huh. that, that happens all the time. And um, so again, like it's the, the, the book, it's even when you don't, not thinking in terms of like the author changing his or her mind over time and, 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 you know, later revisions or anything. I mean, those things of course exist and, and complicate the canon question, but really the crucial and important thing is that what the book is, what the story is, it's always about how we interact with it. And that's why, when you reread a book that you love, you have, it's a similar experience, right? But it's never the, exactly the same experience twice. It's not just like, I want to go on the roller coaster a second time, right? It's its its new, it's different. Um, of course, even the roller coaster the second time isn't exactly the same as the first time, but nevertheless, <laughs> um, it's, it's, uh, it's, and so again, this is just, this is why the more you think about this stuff, the more you come to to, to think about not only storytelling, but story reading, right, and story reception, and how those two things work together, and how 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 fascinatingly fluid these frontiers are. Um, this is why I find adaptations so much fun to think about, because really, like, that is a, in a sense, what we're getting, or almost what we're getting, what what the movie maker hopes we're getting, is somebody else capturing like their version right like this is what they see this is what they feel so even even when people are like these are the most important themes in tolkien and they didn't hit on those themes so it's not it's not really true to tolkien on the one hand i'm very sympathetic to those arguments and goodness knows there um you know there are themes i would thump the pulpit for you know when it comes to saying like this is really you know, you're really getting Tolkien and what matters in his world and you're, or you're not getting, I mean, this is what one of the primary things that I dislike about the adaptation, the, the, the video game adaptation, the shadows of Mordor and shadows of war games. Um, So, I mean, you know, I, I totally get that. I, I absolutely respect it, but like footnote at the same time, you know, that they see something different from me is interesting. And, you know, we can kind of get outside our own. It it helps us to get outside our own heads. Looking at adaptations draws our attention to this stuff more and, and, and thinking about these frontiers and how um, all of this is really fluid and, and interesting.
1: And thinking about the different ways to kind of interpret it as well. I mean, we're talking about the same film, at various points in our own lives, or the same book at various points in our own lives, or sometimes directors go back and reshoot things because the technology's better. So it's the same story, but with better, you know, getting that out there. But then there's also this whole other like, but it's the purpose of the creator again too. So when we're thinking back like our Christmas Carol discussion, where we did what yeah. five different versions of a Christmas Carol, each of those had a different audience, a different purpose, a different, you know, like, yeah. clearly the Will Ferrell Christmas Carol is going to be a lot different than Mickey Mouse's Christmas Carol in right. 1927 19- right. or whatever it was. Right. Yeah, there were so many different ways to interpret that It's the same story. But the director, the creator, the writer wanted that to be told in very different ways for us to receive it in very different ways. So there's so many different ways we can play with adaptation. That's what's so exciting too. So depending on how we take that story, and I think you just brought up a good one too, taking it to a different platform, you know, yes. rings of power on a streaming service is so different than a feature film in the theater, three yes. film, 90 minute, you know, two hour, whatever, three hour they their extended cut, taking it to a game, taking it to an interactive game, taking it to, you know, so many different ways that you can take that, that yeah. you can play with story.
0: Yeah. Um, Yeah. So now thinking about um, uh, this is and it's interesting because, of course, like stepping back for a second um, and stepping back for a second into, you know, our um, our other profession. Right. What we're talking about is critical theory. Right. We're talking about, you know things that English professors talk about about, you know, what is a text and what it means to read a text and, um, you know, what's going on when readers are are, are, are receiving texts and, and that sort of thing. Um, and it, you know, a lot of people don't find that kind of thing very interesting or at least my reaction has tended to be that people um, I, I find that students are often put off by that because of the distance it seems that it gets like like, instead of reading stories or talking about stories, let's, like, think about, let's analyze the process of reading um, in a very, often a very, you know, sort of dry and abstract and philosophical way. And it's, um, anyway, I'd say it's usually not a way to thrill a crowd, but um, (laughs) the adaptation situation really brings these things to the fore in in some really, I I just think some, some really... Visceral and uh, uh, and and clear ways,
1: and I think it's a really good conduit to look at some of these things that otherwise are really difficult to kind of mm-hmm. understand. Because critical theory is not my favorite thing either, and no. it's nice to have a way to talk about it with something that you know really well and yes. like a lot, and be like, yeah. "Oh, I get it. Okay, that makes sense."
0: Yeah, and this yeah. is part of the um, this is part of the big reason why I am so fascinated by adaptation. Like, you know, we're doing this series. I'm participating in this series. I'm not participating primarily because, like, now I, like, I want to focus on movies, right? I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm interested in movies. I want to focus on movies. Um, I mean, I am kind of interested in, in this, but what fascinates me about the process, what I find so rewarding. And this is another thing that I... F- I feel like i've rarely been able to communicate successfully to people um i get really annoyed when people tell me like you shouldn't even watch that because it's bad right like it's okay i mean
1: you mean like i just told phil just well, don't just skip it. you know just, it's all right let me rephrase phil you can watch it because then you're knowledgeably dissing it yeah, oh, with
0: man. Yeah, exactly. But, but actually, but that's
1: not, really like I scream at people all the time when they don't read Harry Potter, but then say it's just a kid's book, so they don't want to read it. Exactly. Right. Like, yeah. well, at yeah. least watch it so you can knowledgeably disengage with it.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and, but more than that, like, I love talking about adaptations, good or bad. Like, that's not the, yeah. it's, this is one of the reasons why it doesn't matter to me. I mean, Maggie, you and I've had this conversation many times throughout the whole. Rings of Power season one experience, and we kept the question everybody comes back and asks immediately, right? Like, you know, how did you like it? How did you like it? Is it good? How did you like it? Do you think it's good? And I'm like, look, I don't care. That is not my question. I'm not interested in that question. I'm not even interested in the question of do I like it? That's not, for me, that's not my primary question. The question is, like, what's happening? Let's think about it, right? Let's. And I love it not because i love the shows not because i love the movies but because it's like in themselves like many of them i do love and i am really interested in but because i have learned so much more about the books studying thinking about Tolkien adaptations good or bad um that i've you know done over the last 10 years has helped me to understand Tolkien so much better um, to, I, I, I think about the book so much more and so much more clearly after doing that. That's, to me, the precious thing. So, like, do I have an opportunity? I, I, and again, this is also why I um, I also k- don't have any sympathy of any kind with people who say things like, oh, yeah, all this, like, new Star Wars material that Disney's pumping out. Like, whatever. It's all lame. And, and you know, I'm not and I'm like, look, like you're missing out. This, yeah, this is, I mean, I'm not, I'm not even going to argue that it's all excellent. It's not all excellent. There's, there's, there's been high variations even within particular shows that they've Mm -hmm. released of things that are good or moments that are good. I mean, even in like, I think probably as far as I can, I haven't watched, I still haven't seen Ahsoka. Heck, I haven't even seen season three of the Mandalorian yet. Um, I'm way, I'm way behind. Um, I did finally see, um, um, and or, but that's like, uh, uh, anyway. But my understanding, but from what I've heard, and again, this I don't spend all my time in this community, but I think many people would agree that the book of Boba Fett was probably the least good of all of the recent series that have come out. That's the one I hear people complain about the most. And when I watch them, I I, I think it's least successful of all of them. Um, But even that one has really interesting elements to it that I'm, that I like very much. Um, And uh, anyway. And
1: and fun when you're thinking about adaptation, because they're taking this like tiny character that became a cult favorite and just created this world around him. Like that's, fun, you know, it like is. things that exist in the world. And like we were saying in that whole May the 5th episode of, you know, what is it that makes a Star Wars show, film, short, whatever Star Wars yeah. thing. That's fun to think about. Like, what are the things that make us exist in this world? And that's that's part of an adaptation, too. And mm-hmm. I do like it when I like things better. So, like, yeah, I will fall into that camp of being like, well, oh, I hated that. Don't watch that. But, like... That's okay. I don't know. I've got my mom. It's perfectly it,
0: fine to warn people have the who are, like, how to help them triage their priorities, right? Like, don't get yeah. your hopes up that this is something big that you're missing, right? It's, you know, yeah. That's such a yeah. good
1: way to phrase it, though, to triage your expectations. Somebody, <laughs> yes. somebody earlier said in the chat on Twitch something that I say all the time to my students of just, like, you need to leave your pitchforks at home because they're not going to have warned you about everything they've changed. They right. will have told you about a few things because they want their audience to be prepared. Like, oh yeah, we said you know Harry's eyes were going to be green, but actually they're blue. Duh, chill, it's going to be fine. You know, right. But right. there's always things that are different that they're not prepared for, but that's the stuff that takes you out of the film. So mm-hmm. if you can accept that they won't have told me everything going into it, you might not get as mad. But yeah. you know, yeah.
0: yeah. Um, yeah exactly but again like the people who say like oh i just wish disney would stop producing new star wars material and i'm like i don't, I don't. like this bring this it. there's there's really it's you know and the marvel stuff like i, I i'm 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 ready like i'm ready i to, wish i had
1: more time though i'm so behind but yeah I do it's trying to keep
0: stuff. up is is a challenge um
1: and like there it is a challenge for a fun reason because there's a lot of good stuff but i genuinely do miss there being less stuff like I I don't want to stop more from coming for all the things we're saying. Right. But remember when we just waited for the next Marvel film and I literally waited like I would show up at midnight because I had waited (laughs) months for this. Right. Right. I loved that. Yeah. So I do miss that because there's so much.
0: There is. There is. There is a lot. Um, And but and but and this is why like I'm you know, I've heard people express, you know, there's a. A fairly broad sentiment and we've talked about it before that there's a great deal of Tolkien stuff coming that in the next 10 years we can expect
1: got a something lot which about.
0: compared to the last 10 years will look like floodgates opening and um a deluge of talking whether it be in uh video game in streaming television in feature films, feature films. um both live action and animated and, you know, all kinds of different things. Um, there's, there's going to be, I, and I, I think that is almost certainly true. There's going to be lots mm-hmm. of stuff that's going to come. Um, and I've heard people express dread about that, like, or trepidation, right? about, I'm ready. I'm yeah. ready because I, I bring it. Absolutely bring it. Because again, the more, st- the more there is to think about, the more there is to, um, I mean, i I am, um, I'm pretty, again, I haven't gotten to it yet, the Ahsoka series, but I'm looking forward to it because I just finished watching Clone Wars recent, you know, mm-hmm. relatively recently, the last six months, and I, Ahsoka was my favorite character from Clone Wars. I thought she was a, a fascinating character through the whole show, and um, and so I re, I'm I'm not because I'm expecting I'm going to get the same thing. It's different people. It's a different format. It's all there's all kinds of things that are different about it, and yet I'm going to be really interested to see. To compare and contrast, right? And the way in which we get like the kind of the, the, the triple interaction between the new Ahsoka series, the Clone Wars, which is where Ahsoka's character began, you know, was, was developed. And the original Star Wars series, right? The kind of triangulation between these things. And Mandalorian,
1: she's there too.
0: Right, yeah, exactly. so cool, so inter- such a rich like intertextual sit- mm-hmm. situation, and I can't wait to uh, to sort of see how that how that comes and i did watch I did watch rebels druids uh, 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 fire so i'm good i'm good there um
1: and that's yeah. what's so fun with all the you know, transmedia storytelling is the the phrase that's often attached yep. to this when you're telling yep. the story across different platforms. And that is what's so fun about this. When you do get a mention from that cartoon that's then played up in that game, which actually comes from that comic, like, that's fun. And yes. I feel like it's all like choose your gateway drug, right? Like, it's just which, which is your point of entry to this thing. And then if mm-hmm. you want to engage with more, you have so much more that you can engage with. If you want to stick with your, just your graphic novel you're going to be so happy, you know, Right. but it's going to be awfully fun for the next couple of years. Like, of course I have some trepidation because I, I do, I think have more of an evaluator reaction than you do where I'm just like, Oh, I hate that. (laughs) That's fine. I've accepted that. I'll still talk about it, but Yeah. 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 So like, I do have some trepidation about some of it, especially because so much is coming out. I think the trepidation I have is like, not the, the politics, but like the egos that might get involved. I feel like there's going to be like when uh, rings of power came out and the house of dragons was out at the same time. This is all marketing and publicity. All the marketing and publicity was just a competition. Like who's right. going to win or who's better. Rah, rah, rah. I don't want any of that. I just right. want to look at the content. So yeah. if we can avoid the marketing mess and the drama and the soap opera that they blow up and we just get to engage with the content. And maybe the fandoms because I love that part and the creators, but
0: yeah. right, right, right. Well, and that's one of the things again coming back to that stuff that we. I mean, you know, this is the the kind of thing that we're excited to be doing at Signum Studios is getting into, getting into this. You know, inviting these this kind of you know this kind of discussion. Yeah. This you know, in, inviting and facilitating this kind of engagement with stuff um, beyond just the, you know. I loved it. And it sold really, you know, it would, right. you know, try to make as many people watch it as possible within the first, you know, couple of weeks and then, you know, judge it and its success based only on that rather than really kind of taking time to 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 think through it and work through it.
1: Yeah. Give me the hours that Peter Jackson gave me. Like if, right. if we get to even make. A tiny bit of that kind of content to explain, to help other people understand, to come to some conclusions, to see things in a different light—that's brilliant. And bringing in other creators and things like that is is definitely a cool way to do that. So yeah. let's hope so, folks.
0: Yep, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I know. I miss it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, well, we're getting towards the end of our time here. Um, I know we're not gonna be able to meet next week because uh, right. you're gonna be busy next week, so.
1: Yeah, my daughter's having surgery, so everybody sends all the good vibes. She'll be fine, it's routine, but it's not gonna be fun. So right. send all the good yep. vibes.
0: That never is, so. Um, and
1: the following Thursday, I'm hoping to be, we'll, we'll be home and I think I could use a little normalcy, so let's hope the following Thursday's fine. But
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so in one or possibly two, hopefully one week, um, uh, after that is to say, yeah, um, not next week, we, week, not after. next week, the next week, the next week, um, we'll be back. Um, so it'll be the first Thursday in October, I think Correct. is what that means. So yeah, first okay. week in October, we will be, um, um, we'll be hoping to be back and, uh, and, 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 and we okay. will see, we will see yeah. what there's a, a bunch of things to talk about. Um, uh, we would, um, We've discussed talking about uh, the Barbie film, which I did get to see in August. Um, I think that would be interesting. That was a fact. I I find that such a fascinating adaptation. Concept. Yeah.
1: And you you blew my mind with. I don't know if you want to say it here. What what you compared it to. Oh, my
0: goodness. I'm almost ready to treat 2001 A Space Odyssey as a source text of the (laughs) Barbie film. I mean, and now like that it's,
1: he said it, and I'm like, I see it. It's, I mean, I Yeah, not. I was
0: blown away by that. Um, um, yeah, yeah. So I, that was one of the things that I'm like, okay, I did not see that coming, right? I did not see uh, that particular, um, that particular. Anyway, so there, there's all kinds of there's all kinds of fun stuff um, going on there, uh, and and we'll, and... there'll be more.
1: Autoflagellator things. says some Lovecraft adaptations might be interesting. Well, I happen to be teaching a class on that right now. <laughs> so at the right. end of the semester um, we're we're putting some new lectures into the, the Sigmund University Lovecraft course, um, There's five new lectures. So we've done two and there's going to be three more at the end of term. And the three at the end are about the new adaptations, because there's been so many that have come out since 2015 when that course was first written. That yeah, it's going to be a heck yeah. of a lot of fun. So we're doing Lovecraft Country, we're doing the BBC radio drama, we're doing a whole slew, of Color Out of Space, a whole slew of stuff. You know what? So,
0: yeah, uh, just that. to like randomly segue onto that, that topic for a few minutes. You know what fascinates me about Lovecraft as both a cultural phenomenon and uh, um, and an adaptation question? <sighs> Lovecraft seems to have worked its way into the into like the consciousness of our society despite the fact that there have not been really famous adaptations made of it. like it's there's not been like a big Lovecraft movie that has like you know like, like the, there's no parallel to the Lord, to the Lord of the Rings films, right where like now Tolkien is in the modern consciousness and you know beca- thanks to the Peter Jackson films in ways that it wasn't before. Um, oh. uh, there, there's been no parallel. With Lovecraft there, and yet, everybody knows the name Cthulhu, right? Um, people use words like Eldritch, <laughs> right? I mean, there's so many Lovecraftian things. Like Lovecraft has kind of like wormed his way into the culture, and yeah, yet, I feel,
1: yeah, yeah, I feel like that's more of his thing. Like, yeah, here's my hand in the air. I honestly didn't read Lovecraft until I taught the course a few years ago. <laughs> like, I, it was not my thing. I didn't engage with it. Once you engage it, you're like, oh my god, now I get it, because it's everywhere. Yeah. I like think Lovecraft yeah. was just the the one that wormed his way in. So he was the foundation upon which everything was built. So he gets all the credit, I think. Like Lovecraftian is now a term that we're really right. familiar with. Yes. But it's not actually what he did, it's what he inspired. Like I think what he created is so influential in what came after it that it's yes. the Neil Gaimans, it's the, you know, the other yes. ones that that built off of that that you're like oh because it's not sci-fi fantasy it's this weird you know creepy yeah. sci-fi element that's exactly that-
0: and that's the thing like i think that like not only has there not been like a major famous lovecraft adaptation people don't even read much lovecraft like <laughs> it's like how did lovecraft become so famous with people with no famous adaptations and people not even reading the books, right? But I, 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 agree. I think that that progress, like over time, um, it's not that we read Lovecraft. We read things that are influenced by Lovecraft. I totally think that Druid's Fire is correct. Dungeons and Dragons yeah. is one of those things. Like a lot of Lovecraftian elements were worked into, especially yeah. the early editions of D and D, not just particular things like, um, like, like mind flayers and such. But, but a, a, a good deal of the sort of larger ethos or questions. Anyway, but yeah, I think so. Was
1: going to talk about that too. He's going to talk about a bunch of the games that have been, you know, brought into play recently with that. And meow indeed, I think you're right. Hollywood took the Lovecraft and just ran with the concepts because the concepts were so universal, but so clearly defined by Lovecraft. Yes. Also, because if you go back and read Lovecraft, it doesn't hold up well, which was my whole second lecture. He's a real problematic author. He is a
0: problematic author.
1: There's a lot of problems in his writing. So we don't actually use much of his writing, but his concepts are timeless and universal. So it's taking... Yeah, the
0: concepts are much more timeless than the stories. The stories are very not timeless. Yeah, they're they're not so good. They're very dated. Yeah.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Anyway, but yeah. So yeah, you should bring that one in.
0: Yeah, yeah, it'd be fun. (laughs) Come
1: Come join our Lovecraft class.
0: Yeah, Actually, that yeah. could be
1: fun. Maybe we bring Gabriel in here for an, an yeah. episode and we talk a little bit about that.
0: Yeah, it would be cool to get, um, if uh, if Gabriel wanted to walk us through some some of the interesting adaptations, whether game and film alike, um, where he sees these kind of elements coming in, that'd be fun.
1: Yeah, we're doing three at the end, so I'm doing all the TV, film, and some radio, and he's doing some radio and some gaming, so we could bring that in, that'd be good fun. Yeah,
0: yeah that would be fun. That would be fun. Okay. Cool. All
1: right. We'll see you guys in two weeks.
0: Very good. Thanks, everybody. Uh, See you. you guys soon.
1: Bye now. Bye.